This passage, which it, with its mention of the curtain that in the temple was torn from top to bottom the day Christ was crucified, got me thinking about a curtain from my youth. Um, when, if any of you, and I think most, a lot of people have, I try to look up my illustrations online to see if they've affected the UK, and I think a lot of people in the over here have seen The Wizard of Oz have seen that movie. It, it is actually a musical on your version of Broadway in London. Um, you all would know what that, that would mean. But what happens in that scene as the movie is getting ready to end is that you see this magnificent and this big and powerful smoke and mirrors and this voice and then all of a sudden, Toto the dog goes running over and pulls the curtain. So you can see behind the curtain, you see the wizard moving things and using a microphone. And, and my first response was, this is a 1939 film up from a 1900 novel. It's talking about using technology to fool people. Think about that. He was creating this big image, this scary image, this fearful image. And then the dog pulls the curtain, and you see what's, what's behind it. But what the wizard does is he gives the scarecrow a diploma to show that he's smart. He gives the lion a medal. It's called a triple cross medal. And the tin man, he gives a testimonial and a heart on a chain. And then, of course, with Dorothy... It's just clicking the heels. And we'll talk more about that later on in the sermon. This verse that we have before us in verse 19, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, is part of this section, 19 through 25, where we have two we have, in other words, statement of facts about who we are as Christians, followed by three, let us, and then the verbs. We'll look at those. What we can come away from this passage in verse 19, we have, we, notice that he's talking about us collectively. And that is going to be something that I think and I hope in this passage will, will draw us together because it, it, it ends up in verse 25 not neglecting them to meet together. He's talking about being a community. He's talking about living out, being a family of God, about being together, of not being alone. But we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. When we come to worship, we come not as spectators. We come not as consumers. 
But we come to enter into the holy place where God is. We come through faith, we come through the light of scripture to come into a holy place because God is there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the way we get there is using a very powerful image from both the tabernacle and the temple. You had this great altar where the blood was spilt from the sacrifices. We enter by the blood of Jesus. You see, I don't enter the holy place. I don't enter coming into God's presence through anything that I have done, anything that I have earned, anything that's in my past or my heritage, whatever it is. It's only by the blood of Jesus. And so no matter what, what, whatever your past, good or bad, and I'll probably mention this several times while I'm here with you, you know, it's one thing, you come to Scotland, you want to find out about your ancestry, and you find out that, guess what? Your clan was disbanded because you were a bunch of thugs and thieves. <laughs> they moved people away. I've got to go back in, in my little genealogy and say, okay, were we part who left eight generations ago? Were we part of that dispersion because of that? But you see, no matter who you, who you are, what your, your life is, we come into the holy places because of the blood of Jesus, because of the sacrifice on the cross. In the book of Hebrews, it uses all of these illustrations and allusions to the temple, to the Old Testament. He goes on in verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. So that when we come to the Lord's Supper and we take the cup, which signifies the blood of the covenant, we take the bread, which is his body, reminding us that that's the only way we get into holy places. And so the heart of this is we have confidence, and I want to ask you, do you have confidence to come into the presence of God, to come into the holy places? Because of the blood. Now I realize that people go through times of doubt and concern. Frustrations with their own lives. But we have to come back and say the only reason I've ever been able to go into the presence of God. The holy places is by the blood of Jesus. I have to be willing to look at that and say that. That that's the only way. But when I see that it's by the blood of Jesus. That is what gives me the confidence to do that. We have confidence. Can you say that today in your heart, that you have confidence to enter into the holy places because of the blood of Christ? Look at the second statement of fact, since we have a great priest over the house of God. You see, we're not left to feel alone, even though we're saying since we have, since we have a great priest, the we... Because I think it's so often easy for us to rush over those little words because we're thinking about me. We're thinking about salvation only in terms of how it benefits us. But yet it was corporate. And when we come to worship, since we have a great priest over the house of God. 
And that great priest, of course, is Jesus Christ. If you back up, and we're, I'm going to scroll through, and you can remember, just go read chapters 7 and 9. Um, but verse 11 in chapter 9 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent not made by human hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Do you see that image of Christ? That he goes before us, he goes to prepare a way, and it's through the shedding of his blood, not the sacrifice of all the animals that had gone on for hundreds and hundreds of years. But that great priest goes in and opens the curtain through the shedding of his own blood, by means of his own blood. The sacrifice, the death of Christ on our behalf, that substitution, is something that we should remember as we come to worship. That is why we were able to come and to be in God's presence. We back up to chapter 7, verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? What God is doing in this passage is he is reaching back beyond Moses, beyond Aaron, into that pass to Melchizedek, who was the high priest who brought, blessed Abraham. And you, you, you'll, when you, if you go back and you read chapter 9, chapter 7, and you see this emphasis on the priesthood and about the uniqueness of Christ being the great high priest over the house of God, that when we come into the holy places, we come into the very presence of God, we remind ourselves that we worship the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he is that great priest. Think about that. He is the great priest. He is the great shepherd. He is the great priest who is also the Lamb of God, who is also the sacrifice. So we have confidence and we have a great priest. Those could be very practical ways of encouraging yourself every day that you get up. I can go into the presence of the Creator, the Redeemer, because of Christ's blood. I am not alone because that great priest has gone before me and is over all worship and all that, that worship God, over the house of God. But now I want to switch and look at, as we get down into the verses, the three lettuces, and, you know, when I, it's not a salad. <laughs> let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us consider. Those three verbs that, that are for us corporately, not by ourselves. Look at verse 21. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith in verse 21. What I see there is that private encouragement, that 
true heart, it's in the heart, in full assurance of faith. That your faith has assurance because of the blood of Christ, and that is in your private convictions. But then it goes on in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. See, verse 23 is about the public profession of faith just as much as 21 is about the assurance of faith. So it's both the inside in our hearts, it's the outward public thing, holding fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. To not let go. The idea of drawing near. That you want to draw near to God in worship. You want to draw near because you have that true heart in full assurance of faith. And you want to hold to the confession of our hope without wavering. It's interesting that he uses the word hope there. Because so often it is easy in a complex world that is so broken to give up. Sometimes we can be overwhelmed by despair because of the dysfunction and the destruction that we see all around us. And I think as the older you get, the more you see generation Decade by decade, you see the same problems occurring, and you wonder, is there really any hope for the human race? The answer is yes. There is hope through Jesus Christ. There is hope in marriages, in families, in schools, in communities, in workplaces. But we have to hold fast. Now, the last one, the last let us. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. See, this is the response to worship. Is that community where we are stirring each other up? Or as it's expressed in verse 25, not neglecting to meet one another as is the habit of son, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, the response to worship is to be involved with each other. To figure out and consider how to stir each other up. To love and to good works. Love, remember, is what Jesus Christ said is going to be the sign to the world as we love each other as his disciples. That we really are his disciples because we love each other. And we recognize that all love is sacrificial. Just as his sacrifice gets us into the temple... Our love in the world to each other is going to be sacrificial. It'll be costly. It'll be hurtful sometimes. As we give away that love that has been given to us. But yet we are also to stir each other up to good works. Not as a way of getting into the presence of God. But we stir each other up to good works because we have been in the presence of God. We have experienced his mercy. We have experienced his generosity. We have experienced his love. And so we need to pay attention to verse 29, 25, excuse me, not neglecting to meet together. How can we encourage each other unless we meet together? We can't just go off into our own little worlds. 
One of the things that is coming and in some places has come is this idea of putting on a, a mask, a helmet with virtual reality and having your own little world. There are movies that are centered around this about people go out and again, out of my background, if you ever saw the Matrix movies and you realize, is it real or is it artificial intelligence? But unless we come together, unless we spend time with each other to encourage each other. See, it's not to come and to gossip, to say negative things about people, but it's to encourage. When you meet somebody, can you say, how can I ask God to send the Holy Spirit so that you can encourage that person? You don't know maybe what they need, but the Holy Spirit does. To encourage each other. To love and good works, to stir it up. Now, the two we haves we have confidence, we have a great priest. Let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us consider how to stir up one another. See, that's moving from me to we. And I realize that sounds like a, a, a bumper sticker or something you'd see in somebody's Facebook post. But yet it is a struggle because so often we want to just be by ourselves because that makes us more comfortable, we can control it. I mean, I remember reading a book about the transition among young people from talking to texting because there was more control. See, being together will be messy because we have no idea what that person has gone through that week or what from their past they're going to be willing to share with us that needs to be helped. Now, let's go back to Dorothy. Judy Garland was the star, but she was never alone. Remember when she fell, she had the good witch, the white witch. She finds the lion, the scarecrow, the tin man become her team. And even the wizard at the end. Because at the end, what does she see when she wakes up back in Kansas after their tornado? Is that these are her neighbors, her friends that were in her dream in Oz. You see, all of us need a team. We need people around us. We need people that can stir us up and encourage us to love and good works, it says, to support. Now, the other thing about Dorothy that I want to say for us as Christians is that we are never the star of the movie. Jesus Christ is the hero. He is the center. We are there to support his ministry. We are there to be his body in the world. See, we can't bear the weight of being the hero in the world. We are not some, depending upon your viewpoint, Marvel or DC comic book hero. 
But we are real people that to have a great high priest who have the blood of Christ, who have hopefully a true heart and full assurance of faith that we have a confession of our hope. And we have people that will stir us up, that won't let us be satisfied. Think about that, just that image of having friends who will stir you up, who won't let you sit still. Friends who will stir you up so you won't be satisfied with the status quo. See, at different stages and ages of our lives, you know, we need different kinds of friends to stir us up and to keep us going. When you first have your children and you're getting up at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning and you're changing diapers and you're not sure and all the things that can happen to a young parent, you're stirred up in a different way than you are when you're in your late 60s and you're trying to figure out how to be a good grandparent and how to be a good spouse and how to do all the things that the Bible calls us to be. Because we have the blood of Christ, because we have that great high priest, because we're not alone. And the story isn't about us, it's about Jesus. So my prayer is that this week you will go back and you will look about this. And when you wake up in the morning, remember sometimes I said, you wake up in the morning and you can remind yourself that I am in Christ and that Christ is in me. Think about this verse 19. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Christ, by the blood of Jesus. That's where our confidence comes. It's not what we have done, it's what he has done. And we have each other. The coming out of that worship in that holy place shouldn't make us feel like we are holier than that. I don't know if that's a phrase over here, but that's a big phrase in the United States. People you know it's like they're better than everybody else. They're more holy. They're, they're doing all the right things. It's more of a performance Christianity than a stirring up each other Christianity, being involved with each other. Because see, when it, you use the word stirring up, you have this image of putting something in liquid and moving it around. We get into each other's lives and we move around. We encourage each other. We don't let us get satisfied. We don't let us forget that we are called to love and good works because we have been in that holy place. See, that's what gives us the confidence to do that. And so the bookends of this passage are the confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Christ. And then in verse 29, not neglecting to meet which with together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. We need to be a congregation of encouragers. See, sometimes we live in a world where they want you to be an analyst, and usually an analyst tries to figure out everything that's wrong. But what God wants us to do is to figure out, how do I encourage my neighbor? How do I encourage the people that are in Christ, the people in this room? How do you, how do you encourage them because you've been in the holy place? And sometimes it may be to deal with doubt. And sometimes it may be that I'm trying to keep up with you because you are such an encouragement 
because the blood of Christ has become so real to you that you are living in the presence of God all the time because you have that great high priest. In an age where people are feeling lonely and self-destructive, we have a message of encouragement because of worship. I think the more that you worship together, largely like this, and where two or three are gathered together, you are going to have that ministry of encouragement that people so desperately need in today's world where they feel isolated instead of connected. That you can encourage them, sometimes just by showing up. One of the things about this passage that I want to end with Notice who the only leader is in this passage. It's Christ. The us's are the ones that are going to encourage each other. See, it's not leadership dependent. I will get up here and I will lead worship, I will preach. But the ministry of encouragement and stirring each other is yours. Because you have been with God in the holy place. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you that we are able to come to the holy place to be with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that as we leave this place and go to the meal, that you would encourage us, you would help each other, help us to stir each other up. But Father, we thank you that we can be with you now in this worship service. We pray these things, Jesus, in your most holy name. Amen.